Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be hearing from our senior pastor, James Aiden. If we haven't met before, my name's James. I'm so glad that you're here. If it wasn't for the cross, isn't that a a reflective statement? Kind of makes you think, if it wasn't for something. You know, if it wasn't for my parents uh, moving to the Philippines, I probably wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for my parents having me being born here in the 80s, and then me coming on a vacation with my wife and feeling the Lord speak to me and whisper to me, say, you're home, I, I would not be here today. Favor Church would not exist if it wasn't for Chris and Beverly Ayton who are actually visiting next week, our first time we're seeing them. I'm really excited to see them. But if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here at all. If it wasn't for something, other things don't happen. If it wasn't for the cross, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the cross, I would not be here. This is the last place that I would be. I'd be in a gutter somewhere. Anybody else would be with me in that gutter? I would be somewhere I wouldn't want to know where if it wasn't for the cross. I'm so thankful for the cross. Today, I want to talk about the reason the cross was needed. Why was the cross needed? You know, a few years ago, uh, when uh, Kate and I got married, we, uh, we saved up and we built a house. We were living in Australia and we built this house and we moved into the house and it was a nice house and we started putting things up on the wall. Now, my dad is like, a real construction guy. He used to build houses and build roofs and everything. Kate's dad is a real construction guy. Even now, he just recently built his own house in the last three years. It's ridiculous. He's in his 60s, right? Builds it himself. And so, obviously, as the son and the son-in-law, I feel the pressure to be a man. You get what I'm saying? You know, a man knows how to use the tools, right? That's kind of the men's camp, may, right? And so, I feel this pressure to use a tool. So we moved into this house, and I got this big picture. I bought this big picture of a red double-decker bus in London. The bus was red. It was black and white. It was one of those stock standard photos. And I'm like, babe, I got this. I'm going to put this up. Kate, with all her love and affection towards me, says, James, are you sure you want to put it up? I could get our friend Chad to do it. Well, there's nothing more emasculating than your wife questioning your ability to put up a photo and then offering our mutual friend to come instead, right? So all that did was enrage me to prove her wrong. I said, I will do it. So I got this picture, you know, and so what you got to do is before, you know, you get the picture, measure it where you want to put it. And then I got the, the, the nails and it was brick. The, the house was brick. And so you, you, you got to like drill in and then put the, the little uh, the, 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 the thing in. And, and then you, uh, right? I'm telling you, by the end of my time of hanging it, I had made about seven different holes all throughout this thing. Luckily, Kate never knew about it until three years later, she took it off to clean behind it and she saw seven different holes that were all through. No one knew about it, but I had, I had completely 
missed the mark. I had completely missed the aim of what I was trying to do and trying to hang this picture right. I somehow got it, but I'd really missed the mark. It's an interesting statement, that statement, missed the mark. When you're trying to accomplish something, when you're trying to do something, but you don't, you know, do it the correct way. You don't do what you intend to do. You, you missed the mark. The title of my message today is called Missing the Mark. If it wasn't for the cross, missing the mark. Why was the cross needed? Because of sin. And this phrase, missing the mark, miss the mark, is actually a direct translation of the Greek word that we use for sin in the Bible, which is harmatia. And and it's this idea to miss the mark. and, And the picture that you get is actually of someone doing archery, right? Did anyone here ever do archery? In school, you're in school or in the mall or somewhere, you know, the archery or your decathlon, you have the little rubber archery, right? So the idea is this, uh, when you do archery, you have a, a target and there's a bullseye right in the middle. And the goal is to try and get the bullseye in the middle. If you miss the middle, you've missed the mark. This is what sin is. The bullseye, the middle is the holy righteousness of God, the perfection perfection of who God is. And without Christ, we all miss the mark. In our lives, we go back with the bow, we release it, and we shoot it off, and none of us without Jesus can ever hit the mark because no one can hit the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of God without Jesus. All our thoughts, our behaviors, our intentions without Christ will miss the mark. Maybe you're here today wondering, well, 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 is that me? Have I missed the mark? And the answer is yes. We've all missed the mark. First John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you know what I love about how the Bible talks about sinners? Is that it doesn't exclude anyone. It includes everyone. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It sounds so dark. Why is it one of my favorite verses? Because it means the person sitting next to you is as much of a rat bag as what you are. Doesn't that make you feel good for a moment? Just look at them. Look at them and go, ah, I know. We've all sinned. This is a message for everybody. Some people walk into church thinking they're walking into perfection. Oh, some people avoid going to church because they think, oh, no, you know, but, but you don't know what I've done. Are you kidding me? If you knew what some of these people had done on the front row, particularly these two men on the side, If only you knew, you'd be down here dancing in the freedom of Jesus. They are. This is a message for everyone. But here is the good news. 
Romans 3, 23, it doesn't just stop there for all of sin to fall short of glory. The next verse, it says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. We all today have fallen short, but we all have the ability to be justified, justified by God. Justified by faith means this, just as if I had never sinned. And it's for free by his grace. Why? Because of Jesus and his sacrifice. So before we get into this whole sermon on sin, I need you to know this. Sin doesn't own you. You don't have to live under its power. It's already been paid for. Your sin has been paid. All you and I have to do is accept the free gift of Jesus Christ that covers our sin. So let's talk about this whole subject of sin. Because if it wasn't for the cross things would look a lot different right now. First thought today I want to talk on is this, how sin came in. Hmm, that rhymes. Boom, 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 boom. How sin came in. That's all I got. Uh, if you know the story, some of you may know it, some of you might not, and that's okay. If you know the story, how sin came in, it went all the way back to the beginning of humanity. God created the earth. He then rested. Remember that message on rest? Did anybody rest in the last two weeks? It's like seven people out of 700 rested. All right, maybe we need to preach that message again. Uh, so God comes in. He creates Adam. Uh, Adam is lonely, so he puts him to sleep, uh, rips out a rib, and then creates a whoa man uh, in Eve, and, and they do life together. And God creates only one boundary. In the whole Garden of Eden, God creates one boundary, and it's this. Do not eat from that tree. God says you can eat from any tree that you want, but don't eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they're fine. They listen to God. They're having a great life. You know, I don't know how many, how many years or decades or centuries they're living in the garden. Who knows? But, but they're having this amazing time. And then one day, Eve's out alone, right? Mm, bad things happen when you break yourself off from community. Just throwing that out there. And so Eve's alone, and, and Satan comes as a snake, right? And he begins to take, and this is what the devil does. He takes a little bit of truth and he mixes it with a lie. And so he begins to get Eve to question and, 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 and he says, did God really say that? Did God really say that you would die? And so Eve gets deceived by Satan and she takes the fruit. We don't know if it's an apple. All the children's books say it's an apple. Apples get a pity pretty bad rap for being the downfall of humanity. I don't know if it was an apple or not, but she has it. And then she brings her husband over. And Adam, from the beginning of time, does the dumbest thing. He, he listens to his wife. Now, listening to your wife is not dumb. I just want to say that. After the Garden of Eden, it's a smart thing to do. Listen to your wife. I listen to my wife all the time, right? So he listens to his wife. Rocky, I got away with that one. And and he listens to his wife, right? 
And so, so he listens to his wife, and then God comes in and says, what are you doing? And it's just pretty crazy from there. Um, Adam and Eve had no concept of what was good and evil until they took a bite of that fruit. They, in fact, did not physically die, but in that moment, they spiritually died. Because separation came in, and they became like God in knowing the difference between good and evil. The first sin that was committed, and ultimately every sin that happens from then on up until now was this. The first sin was disobedience. They disobeyed God. In Genesis 2, before the fall, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Wouldn't that be just wonderful if we could just all, maybe not wonderful, but... (laughs) What a wonderful thing for them. They were naked and unashamed and enjoying life. And then after the fall in verse 3, it says that they became aware of what was good and what was evil. And instantly they became, they felt their nakedness. They realized their nakedness and they became ashamed and they tried to cover themselves with leaves and they tried to cover their sin. Genesis 3 tells us what God did in response. He comes. We we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, that now childbirth was going to be painful for women. Could you imagine? Imagine what childbirth was like pre the fall. Imagine. It could have just been like, whoop, like, I don't know. We can imagine, though. Wouldn't it be incredible? But now he says it's going to be painful. He then looks at Adam and says, you're going to work. You're going to work hard. The ground is going to be hard, and you're going to sweat and toil for your food. And then something really significant happens, and this, this, you got to get this because this sets it up for the rest of the story. Genesis 3.21, it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. That would have been good fruit. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. All right, so we got to understand this. The Lord God made uh, uh, garments of skin, right? So I, I got you got to understand this because this... This affects us today. This one little statement of the Lord God made garments out of skin. This affects us today. This is why. They had covered themselves with leaves, right? Obviously, God looked at that and said, covering yourselves with leaves, it, that's not a good enough cover for your, for your sin. You need something else. And so what God did was he went and he killed an animal. Listen, to cover with skin, that means God had to kill an animal to then take that skin and to cover their sin and their nakedness. Innocent blood had to be shed right at the beginning in order to cover the nakedness and the sin of humanity. Are you following? Are some of you already going to the end of the story? Already? That's okay. We're going to get there. Slow down. Slow down. But this This idea of innocent blood being shed to cover the sin of humanity started in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered the world. Everything changed. And today we live in the consequence of the sin and the choices that humanity made. So what happened next? Second thing today I want to talk about is God's response to sin. Sin was in the world and things got messy. Genesis 4 tells us about Cain and Abel, the first murderer in the Bible, you think you got dysfunctional family issues. 
These guys were literally the only two brothers in the world, and they still hated each other. Right? Cain ends up murdering Abel. Uh, We see this in Genesis 6. Things have gotten so bad that God has to do a reset of the whole planet. And we tell the story of Noah and his ark. And in kids' church, this is one of those things in kids' church, we completely lie to our children in kids' church. David and Goliath, it's a lie. Noah's ark, we lie to our kids. We make it sound like it was some, you know, cruise adventure for Noah and his family. And all these little animals came on board, you know, two by two, they all come to the ark. There's giraffes, Noah's petting lions, there's penguins coming up there, right? We make it to our kids, it's what we teach our kids' church. We put Noah's ark, like in our last kids' church, in, in Shangri-La, we had a gigantic sticker of Noah's Ark and, 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 his, and the animals, right? That's how we paint it. It was an absolute genocide. Everybody died. Noah's in the Ark with the animals and there's people drowning. Ah! We don't tell that to our children. Some of you are just realizing this for the very first time. You thought it was just a cruise your whole life. People are dying, they're drowning. Sharks are eating people. So God does a reset of all of humanity. And uh, at the end of it, he sends a rainbow and he promises, hey, every time you see this rainbow, so know this, every time you see a rainbow, the rainbow is the rainbow has been stolen by an agenda and the rainbow is not because of that agenda. The rainbow is actually a sign from God that he will never ever send a flood to destroy humanity again. It's a sign of God's love. It's actually a sign of God's love. Before we get to the law of Moses and God's response to sin there, there's another significant event that occurs and it has to do with blood again. Later in the story, after Noah, we we see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph goes to Egypt, and the Israelites stay there. They end up having babies and having lots of babies, and they get three million people in this country. Moses comes. God sends Moses as a deliverer. All the plagues, if you know the story, the plagues, the 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 bloody water, the 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 uh, the animals thing die and the grasshopper locusts frogs everything like that that's a cool story in kids church when we tell that as well we try and make that sound like it wasn't the craziest thing in the world yeah there was a few frogs that went into egypt are you kidding me they were climbing inside people's mouths the bible is very violent as i'm preaching i'm realizing how violent it is right and then we get to the last plague the last plague happens where where the angel of death is going to come and actually take every firstborn male in the country. And so Moses sends word because God speaks to him and sends word to all the Israelites and says this, go and again, ready, kill an innocent lamb and take the blood and put it on your doorway so that when the angel of death comes through, they'll know that a life has already been taken in replacement of the son of that house. Real significant. That was the first Passover that today the Jewish people still celebrate. The Passover. Blood, innocent blood shed so that it could save people. This was God 
already saving and redeeming his people. Are you getting the theme already yet? You're getting the theme because Easter is coming. God knew that it was impossible for humanity not to sin, even his own chosen people, the Israelites. So God came up with a way of how he could deal with sin and rebellion in his people through a symbolic ritual. And this was an animal sacrifice. The Israelites, they needed a system of some kind that could do the following things. Ready? They needed a system that could turn them away from sin, that could provide just recompense. I always say that word wrong. Recompense for the hard cost of debt. They owed something through their sin, and they needed something that could actually pay that. They needed to provide a way to cleanse and to purify the community, and specifically the temple as well, which is where God resided from the infectious nature of sin. And they needed to ensure that God's presence remained with his people. So God came up with this system where they would actually sacrifice animals and dependent on your sin and dependent on your financial standing would depend on the animal that would come. But this animal would come and the the priest would kill and slay this animal and the blood would be poured out and shed. And the sacrifice of this animal was to take the place of the sinner. And the blood that was spilt was to cover the sin of people. This is through the, old, uh, the whole Old Testament. God hates sin so much, yet he loves his people so much that he provided a way that our sin could be accounted for. He hated sin. In fact, throughout the whole Old Testament, if you read the major and the minor prophets, what's, what's the biggest message of every single one of the Old Testament prophets? It was this, turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. Every prophecy that was given of exile and of nations coming and destroying Israel all came out of if you don't turn away from your sin. God hated sin. He made a way to get away from it, but he also sent people to warn us of it. God's design was for the blood of an innocent to cover the sin of the guilty. And Easter is still coming. Third thing is this. We get to the point in the story where Jesus changes the game. So now we have a backdrop of what sin is, how it entered, and what is needed to happen in order for it to be dealt with. And so now, now, because we're in the Philippines, a lot of people know the story. Now the story begins to make just a little bit more sense because we now understand the backdrop of sin. Now we understand why John the Baptist looked up in John 1.21 and he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now do you understand it? Now do you understand why we sing songs about lambs in church? We are not a pro-animal church. The only pro-animal I am is I love eating them. Oh, I love eating animals. But we sing songs, worthy is the lamb, right? And new people come in, they're like, wow, these people love animals. We don't. John was prophesying the future sacrifice that even though he was the savior of the world, Jesus was coming as a lamb, his innocent, sinless, 
perfect blood was going to be shed to cover our sin. This is why he is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world because blood was needed to cover our sin, and God himself bled for us. And if that hasn't hit you yet, I want you to clap. I want you to praise God right now. I want you to say thank you, Jesus, because of what Jesus did. You didn't earn it. You and I don't deserve it, but God chose out of his great love for us. God chose to come down and to be sacrificed through Jesus and to bleed. So Jesus changed the game. So how did Jesus view sin? I want to take a moment. I want to look at how Jesus addressed sin. Because unfortunately, we live uh, in a, a wokeism society right now. Everyone's woke, right? We all woke up. It's like, we woke up, right? Are you woke? I'm woke. Are you woke? Woke. We live in this woke society. And unfortunately, wokeism has crept very largely into the church. And we have created our own God by picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that we like and putting away the parts of the Bible that don't agree with our wokeism or our politically correct society that we live in. There's some horrible, bad, false teaching out there these days. And I want to go against this false teaching that has become rampant in our postmodern, woke, my truth world where all truth is subjective. There's no moral truth anymore. It's just my truth. Well, if it's true for you, then it's true for you. No, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Gravity is gravity. Well, I don't believe in gravity. Well, go up, jump off a building and see if your truth is really true. There are some things in this world that are just morally true because they are true doesn't matter what you think is true or not. It's moral truth. And I want to go against false teaching because there's this growing trend of people that believe that, yes, Jesus, just like the devil, they sprinkle in a bit of truth, that the love of Jesus covers a multitude of sin, but that love also gives us permission to do whatever we want, whenever we want, just as long as we believe in Jesus. And that is false it's false teaching. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the devil. Sprinkling in, just like he did in the garden. Sprinkling in just a little bit of truth just to come with our lie. This teaching always involves the misrepresentation of love that doesn't allow us to tackle hard or sensitive topics because, you know, Jesus loves you and he loves everyone. So we avoid hard topics. We avoid topics that are saying, so let's look at how Jesus, let's look at how Jesus, the, the, the loving one, the lover of our soul, Jesus, this is how the lover of your soul thinks about sin. Matthew 5, 29, he says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Come on, who needs a knife right now? No, <laughs> For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. 
Um, this is right after Jesus has just talked and just turned the whole law of Moses upside down on his head when he said, the law of Moses said, uh, don't, be, uh, don't commit murder. But I tell you that if you're angry with someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. The, the law of Moses says, don't have adultery. But I tell you that if you lust after someone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. This is how Jesus views sin. Now, he's not telling you to cut out your eye. He's not telling you to cut off your hand. Wouldn't that be crazy, huh? We'd all be walking around blind with no hands. I don't know about you, but I would have been done a long time ago, right? And, and so Jesus isn't physically telling us to do this. It's a metaphor of, of how dangerous sin is. It's a metaphor. He's saying this is, how, this is how dangerous sin is, is that you don't want it residing in your life. So if you got to cut your eye out, do it. If you got to cut your hand off, so you don't, you, you've got to stay away from sin. Let's look at how Jesus actually responded when a sinner was cast before him. John chapter 8, verse 1. This is a very famous story that some of you may know. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. So Jesus is like in the temple, kind of like us in church today. I'm preaching. And in the middle of him preaching, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So, so in the middle of teaching Jesus, it would be like someone dragging a woman through the door here and bringing them up and go, James, this woman was caught. And it wasn't like a rumor. It was caught. Like it was for, they must've walked in. It must've been, could you imagine the shame on this woman? She'd probably been dragged through the streets, right? It's it, not a pretty scene. Probably dragged and comes before Jesus. And Jesus, oh, this is what our Savior does. They said this to test him, that they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. Nobody knows what he wrote. Wouldn't it be amazing to know what he wrote? A lot of people have tried to guess, but nobody knows. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning, ready, with the wise ones, the, the, the seasoned ones, the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. In this one story, we see the beauty and the wonder and the love of Jesus. His grace and his forgiveness, his love and his desire for his people. And in the very same breath, we see his desire for us, which is this, to go and to sin no more. A religious country like the Philippines, and we are as religious as you can get, a lot of times what we create in our religious society is we create two extremes that a lot of people live in. I feel like half my battle as a pastor, honestly, is pulling people from, from the two extremes that we create in our walk with Christ. And, and these two extremes can actually be seen so plainly in, in this story. We, the first group of people is this. It's people that go to church, profess Christ, but just do whatever they want. So this is wokeism at its best. 
These are people that have created their own Jesus. They love Jesus the Savior. They love that he saved them. They love that Jesus died on the cross. Don't talk to me about Jesus being Lord of my life. I just like him as Savior. I just love how Jesus loved everyone. Jesus just loved. Jesus is love, and I'm love. And so I go to church, but I do anything I want because I've created my own Jesus. I've actually created a Jesus that looks nothing like the Bible. This is idolatry. You're worshiping something other than the real Jesus of the Bible. And so they come to church, they they worship, they take Instagrams of church to prove to everyone that they came to church. They love the first bit of the story where Jesus doesn't condemn her. They love it when this woman encounters the love and grace of God. But what they do is they change the last bit of the story. And in their heads, they read, go, go and do whatever you want. That's what they read. They literally change it. Anyone else condemn you? Neither did I. Go and live however you want. Just make sure you tell people that you believe in me. And so there's this, come on, am I talking? Am I, does anyone know? what? Don't point at your neighbor right now. But is this not such a huge thing in the Philippines? How many people walk in and out of church? And and unfortunately, this isn't a Catholic problem. This is a Christian problem. It's not just Catholics that walk in and out of church mass and then walk out. People do it in this church. They walk in and walk out and just do whatever they want. This is wrong. And it's becoming more and more prevalent in the church today. So that's one extreme. I love the Savior Jesus. I love the grace of Jesus. And I've just mixed it in my head. And I can do anything I want because Jesus loves me, man. He gets me. I've talked to people and they said, Jesus gets me. He's okay that I do this. I'm like, what Jesus are you talking to? Because I don't think he's okay with you doing what you're doing, whatever that is, doing what you're doing. But he gets me, man. Say, so, yeah, he gets you. That's why he's not happy with what you're doing. And then unfortunately, though, we can then move to the other extreme, which is this. Go and sin no more. Because if you sin, you're going to hell. And so in the Philippines, we have one extreme. Do whatever you want, just as long as you do it. And then on the other extreme, we have people that live in this religious good works mindset that you can't sin or else you're going to hell. Don't sin. And we have people that grow up in fear that if they do one thing wrong, well, I've lost it all. I'm going to hell now. Jesus, we have people constantly asking for forgiveness. Forgive me, God, forgive me, God, because they think that if they die right after they sin, they're going to go to hell. And so we live then in this other extreme where people have unrealistic expectations. And unfortunately, they put it on other people. They put an unrealistic expectation on somebody else. Well, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be this. And honestly, what's crazy about it is they don't even match it themselves. But because we're so good in the Philippines at putting on a face for people, we act the part. We do what we need to do. But unfortunately, it's the other side. For us to get the point of this story and ultimately see how Jesus wants us to act, we need to have a healthy balance of both. We are grateful for the loving grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, yet we have to balance it with the tension of his words, go and sin no more. I love you. This is what this is. You got to get this. Jesus, this girl is as shamed as you can get. 
her sin on public display in front of everyone. And Jesus loves on her. Stands in the gap for her. She should have been dead and it would have been okay because the law said it was okay. Do you get that? That's even crazy to think. She, she could have been killed and it actually would have been okay with the law of Moses. But Jesus stood in front, loved on her, gave her grace, all the shame that she felt. She would have looked in the eyes of Jesus and only seen love and compassion and grace and then would have heard the words, I love you. I don't condemn you, but I'm not happy with what you did. Don't do it again. And this is a healthy balance and a healthy tension when it comes to this story. Paul addresses this tension in the letter to the Romans, Romans 6 verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Having a healthy balance allows us to live a life where we actively avoid sin, yet still fall into the loving, gracious arms of Jesus when we fail. How many of y'all actively try and avoid sin? Lift up your hand, just so I know who I'm talking to. Just that you actively try and avoid sin. All right, there's a lot of people that didn't raise their hands. I'm really worried right now. You, did I word it incorrectly? The, how many of you really try and avoid to sin in your life? Come on, put up, yeah, there we go. There's still not a lot of hands went up. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Maybe you don't. Okay, yeah, maybe you don't. Actually, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I actually appreciate your honesty. Thank you for being honest, right? So, I lost my train of thought because I'm just wondering, he's trying not to do it. Um, most of us would say that we actively try and avoid sin, but all of us will sin. So, how do we balance this? We balance it in this way. We're actively living a life where we want to avoid sin, but we understand when we fail and we will that the loving, gracious arms of Jesus is there to hold us, to help us, to forgive us, to heal us. We got to get this balance right for the sake of our relationship with God and for the sake of the people that we influence in our lives. Fourth thing I want to say is this, is that sin is real and we should avoid it. God hates sin and it breaks his heart. So what are sins, right? What is sin? What does it really mean, this idea of missing the mark? Paul comes in the New Testament and just starts laying it down in, in just plain language what sin is. Uh, in one of his letters, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a pretty wide range of sins. He's gone from jealousy to orgies. That's quite a jump. He's gone from fits of anger to idolatry. These are big, big jumps. But you know what's interesting about sin? Is that sin always begins in your heart before it manifests in your hand. Sin will always begin in your heart. 
And all these sins begin in your heart. Paul gives another list to another group of people. This time he's writing the letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Man, this sounds like 2022. Unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul ends with this, avoid such people. Well, that's not very Christ-like. Jesus said we got to love everyone. Yeah, we got to love people, but he's giving Timothy advice, not because these people can't be witnessed to, but because they're probably in church showing a level of godliness, but still doing all this stuff on the side, acting like they got it all together, but really they keep doing all this stuff and they're unrepentant about it. People created their own God using bits of God from the Bible and then creating their own version to suit their needs. Still happens today. People creating their own God. You know, you know who those people are? These are those people. They either come to a good church like ours and they make a lot of trouble because they go, well, how come this? So they come and they make trouble because they're angry that we don't preach the God that they've created. And so they get upset. We're not affirming. We're not loving. We're not accepting. It's because we don't affirm the God that they have created. And so they either cause trouble in a good church or they go and they start their own church and they preach a God that they have created and they get like-minded people around and they have a community of believers worshiping a false God, but they don't even realize it's false. One of the greatest things that the devil can do in his win is not convince you that there's no God. Do you know how hard it is to truly be an atheist? It takes more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God. It takes more faith to believe that there's nothing than there's something. Watch a baby being born, and it's very hard. It's disgusting, but it's very hard to, I mean, the baby being born, it's disgusting. It's not beautiful at all. People are like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Have you seen a baby being born? It's like a war zone in that hospital, right? Little alien coming up. But when you watch a baby being born, you realize how very difficult it is to be an atheist. Because when you see a birth of a child, it's surely someone created this. Surely this is designed, right? So, so it's actually easier. You know what's an easier method for the devil? It's not to try and convince you that God doesn't exist, but to try and convince you that you're worshiping God when really you've created a false God. That's what the devil wants to do. And so I want to tell you, avoid those people. But the love of Jesus, okay, but Paul is way closer to Jesus than I was. And so I'm just going to follow what he said. Avoid those people. Paul spends a, ch a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talking all about sexual sin, sexual immorality. It's an incredible chapter. I want to read a couple of verses. Verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolatrous, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, 
You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Oh, what a wonderful ending, but what a pretty somber beginning in that scripture. There are many, many people today that love the idea of Jesus, but when it comes to their sexuality, they ignore huge chunks of the scripture or they twist the meaning of scripture. But here's the wonderful thing. Paul says to the Corinthians, you were once like that, but when you encountered Jesus, he washed you, he sanctified you, and you've been justified. If it can happen to them, it can happen to you. I get a lot of questions about sexuality as a pastor. I get a ton of questions about it. What does God think? LGBTQI plus and all the other letters. What do you think, pastor? Get a lot of questions. How how come God made me this way? How come I feel this way? How come I'm attracted to this gender? How come I feel like I'm this gender? And to be honest, I don't have all the answers, but what I know is that when sin came into the world, sin distorted God's perfect design. So anything that we live in right now outside of Christ is a distortion of God's perfect plan for us. And we all live in a world where sin rules this world. So, of course, the effects of sin will be all around us. Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. Your sin doesn't make God happy, but that doesn't change the fact that he died for you. He already died. He didn't wait for you to get perfect. He died just in case you would come around and realize what you've done. He loves you. He can help change you. He can restore you. He can give you a new identity in Christ, not something that the world has thrown on you. We don't live by the world's standards anymore. God's standards are there to help us, not to be rules against us. We don't have to buy into the agendas of the world. I may not know all the answers. I may not understand why everything's happening, but I know how God designed us. I know what God did in the Garden of Eden and what Jesus affirmed and what Paul preached. I know when it comes to sexuality, there's a perfect design from God. Well, how about me? Well, well, unfortunately, I don't have the answer for everyone, but I know this, that God loves you. He really does. God loves you. If you're having sex now with someone that you're not married to, guess what? God loves you. Absolutely loves you but he absolutely wants you to stop. He absolutely loves you, but he absolutely wants you to stop. If you're getting drunk and smoking weed, doing drugs, getting high, being intoxicated, he absolutely loves you. Even if you're a mess, he loves you but he absolutely wants you to stop. And there's not special exemptions. He absolutely loves you, but he absolutely wants you to stop. If you have anger in your heart, if you're jealous, if you're into sorcery, (laughs) it's the Bible. If you're into witchcraft, If you like star signs, sorcery, it's witchcraft. Star signs are absolute witchcraft. Guess what? He absolutely loves you. 
but he absolutely wants you to stop. This is the tension that we have with the gospel of Jesus. Is that someone that could love us so much and not condemn us in the same sentence would then turn around to us and say, hey, I love you. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. But go and sin no more. And this is the incredible thing about the grace of Jesus is that if we go and sin again, which a lot of us will in different areas, he'll still be there. And he'll look at you again and say, hey, they don't condemn you, neither do I. But go and sin no more. And if we wake up the next day and we do it again, he'll still be there. And he'll say, I don't condemn you. I still love you. But I still don't want you to do this. Go and sin no more. And in a week's time, if you get up and do the same thing, he'll still be there. He loves you. But that doesn't change his desire for us to go and to sin no more. It's the tension that we live in. Sin damages us, and it damages those around us. I say this all the time. If the consequences of sin were immediate, no one would do it. If the consequence of your sin was right there in front of you, no one would do it. Sin is like eating triple cheeseburgers every day of your life. I speak from personal experience. (laughs) Tastes so good, right? Can we just acknowledge that sin is actually pretty good? Some of you are like, yeah. All the people that didn't raise their hand before, they're like, yep. That's why I didn't raise my hand, right? Like sin is not, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm real, right? Sin is, it's enticing. It's that juicy apple on that tree. Apple, see, apple, even me, I said it. It's that juicy fruit, juicy fruit uh, on that tree, right? That's what sin is. No one ever encounters the immediate consequence of sin. Because if we did, we probably wouldn't do it. It's like, I love eating triple cheeseburgers. Oh, they feel so good when you eat it. Doesn't just make you feel bad. You're having a bad day. What do you do? Have a triple cheeseburger. (laughs) Life just seems a little bit better for a moment. But you wake up the next morning. Oh, God, I shouldn't have had that triple cheeseburger. Right? Let's say you do it every day, every day, every day. It might be good for a week, a month, a couple of years. Heck, some people last decades when doing it, but one day you'll wake up and you'll be 700 pounds, right? You won't have realized it, but it'll happen, or you'll get a heart attack. Sin is dangerous. Sin erodes us from the inside out. It will slowly kill us. Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin will ultimately lead us to death, but thank God for Jesus and his a free gift of eternal life, which leads me to my last point, and I'm finished. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on others. Let me, let me finish with this, and I, I really want to speak into those people that are a part of a church community. If you're watching online, you're a part of our church favor family, that's great. If not, get involved in a, in a church community. A church community is amazing. It helps you grow. It strengthens you, but Unfortunately, church is full of imperfect people, right? Uh, just look, look at your neighbor. Just look at them right now. Look at the person sitting next to you. They have issues. Some of the spouses are like, yep. <laughs> Preach, preacher, right? I get it, I get it, I get it. Right, so here's the issue about being in a community sometimes, right? As much as our heart and desire is to love and to come alongside and to 
to help people come towards Christ, the reality is, is that sin is still involved in a community because we're in a sin-fallen world and we're constantly attacked by the devil. And one of the things that the devil wants to do is he wants to get our eyes off Jesus and he wants to put them on other people. So this is how the devil does it. Let's go, let's go all the way back to the image of, of the bow and arrow. I should have had a bow and arrow. Robin Hood would have been great, right? So the bow and arrow. This is, this is what we do sometimes is that we stand next to a person uh, that we know we maybe see them or we see their social media or we see what they're doing and like and and we see them and and the target is so far away like no human person could hit that target but you're going to try anyway because that's what we do we we try we're humans so this one person that you're watching they they do their boy they bring them back and they and they hit it and the arrow goes up and it goes down and it's pretty short and you're like oh you stand up you do it you pull it back Everything that you got, you know, I'm serving, I'm doing good, I'm paying my tithe, I'm even in the building fund, right? And then we let it go, and this arrow, sh- and it shoots like double, triple, quadruple past that other person. And we look at it, we go, wow. Look how, you know, at least I'm better than that person. And then Jesus comes in, and he looks at where your arrow is. And he looks at where their arrow is. The whole point of missing the mark is this. If you miss the mark, everything is a failure. You can't fail in front of somebody else. You can't be a better failure than somebody else. (laughs) Although some of you are better failures, but the wrong way, right? The other way. You can't be better at failing than someone. If you've missed the mark, you miss the mark. One of the worst things we can do in church is go, well, at least I'm not that person. No, 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 no. Don't look at people around you. Look at Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. True Christianity is not about being sinless, but about the fact that we can't be sinless, and Jesus redeemed us anyway. Because we've all missed the mark, we all need to be redeemed. John 8, verse 34. Oh, I love this. Jesus answered and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When you give your heart to Jesus, right? When you give your heart to Jesus, instantly in that moment, you stop practicing sin. Will you continue to sin? Absolutely. We all do. We're imperfect. Hopefully, the longer you go in your walk with God, the closer you come to Jesus, those sins will begin to be stripped away, your sanctification journey. But but sin will be something. If you got angry this last week, guess what? Anger is a sin. You're not perfect. But if you found Christ, you're no longer practicing sin anymore because the Son has come, Jesus, and He has set us free. He set us free. I want to repeat the verse that I read right at the beginning of my sermon, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness this is the Christ that we serve he is faithful he will never 
ever fail us when it comes to forgiveness. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've still got so far to go. Still struggling with so much. A phrase we always say in our church, and I really like it, is this. I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. God's not after your perfection. He's after your heart. He's after your desire. God wants to be desired by you. And the devil has done the best job he can over the last thousands and thousands of years, and he's still going hard today to bring sin in, to distract us, to kill us, to separate us from God. If it wasn't for the cross, who knows where we would be. But today, because of the cross, I stand here today free. I stand redeemed. I stand here covered by the blood of the Lamb, which now makes sense and not some weird cultish practice. I'm covered in His blood, redeemed because His blood spilled. So no longer do we have to sacrifice animals every time we sin because of what Jesus did. And I I love this because years ago, someone in our church, in fact, it was Cherry sitting right down there, got up on stage and she was emceeing out of a service and she said this phrase that's always stuck with me and she said, Jesus died for you just in case you would turn to him. And it always stuck with me. I love that thought that Jesus died for you and I just in case. There are millions, if not billions of people that are going to an eternity in hell, separated from God, but Jesus still loved them enough to sacrifice his life for them. And he loves you and I here today. Thank God for the cross. If you're here and you don't have an active relationship with Jesus, if he's not your personal savior, If you haven't made that decision yet to come before him, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, sin, miss the mark, everything that we've done that's outside of the boundaries of how God would want us to live. If you haven't made that decision, or maybe you made this decision a long time ago, but you walked away from God. Life happened. I know I did that when I was younger. I walked away. But it was in a meeting like this. Actually, I was outside in Club Manila East beside a pool where a man called Micah Hurwitzku preached a message and told his story about how God had captured his heart. And as I sat there, I realized that I needed to give my life over to Jesus. Not just someone who would save me, but someone who would be my Lord. Not just the eternal life bit, the good stuff, but the day-to-day control of my life. I wanted to give my life. Today, I want to ask you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not just asking you to give your heart to someone that will save you. I'm asking you to give control of your life to someone who would become your Lord. Could you all just close your eyes just for a moment? you're saying, James, that's me. I've never done this before. Maybe you're saying, James, I did this a long time ago, but I walked away. If you're online, watching online, 
in our Shangri-La service today, wherever you are, and you're saying, James, this is me. I'm going to count to three. When I get there, I want everyone to raise their hands. If you're online, I want you to raise your hand too, wherever you are, because God sees it and God knows. If you're saying, James, I'm that first person. I've never done this. Or James, I'm that second person. I did this a long time ago, but I walked away. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. One, two, three, right now, all over this place. Awesome. Hands here, hands here. A couple hands in the back over there. It's great. Hands in the middle. Hands down here on the side. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you lifted your hand, that's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. We're going to pray a prayer. We're all going to say this prayer together. But it's a simple prayer reflecting what Paul wrote in Romans 10. In Romans 3, he said, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory. In Romans 6, he said, the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of Jesus is eternal life. And in Romans 10, he says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, Lord, not just Savior, but Lord and Savior, then we will be saved. So we're going to pray a prayer reflecting that now. So come on, pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, come to you right now and ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, that your blood was shed to cover my sin, but you didn't stay dead. You rose victorious. So right now I ask, Please come into my life. Please be my Lord and Savior. Be my best friend today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening in. At Favorite Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, We'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church/next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.